Amen. Hey, once again, we are in our study, World Religions, Cults, and the Uncle. Number 14, Pastor Bobby. That's awesome. Isn't it? How does it feel like being back on that front row? It's awesome. That's right. Give it up for Pastor Bobby, and I'll tell you what, talk about God's timing. So uh, always gets the right answers. And, of course, being on the front row, if you've got poor eyesight, that's where you want to be. I'm not saying nothing, bro. But anyway, that's right. But witchcraft and the rise of Wicca, number 14 in our big giant study. We've already seen, of course, the definition of uh, witchcraft. Uh, and uh, Wicca is just basically the same thing. It's, it's literally what the term means. We saw the types. We saw the location. We saw the protection. Who's the protection in? Jesus Christ, hello, and the history. Now, the history went all the way around the world, okay? And what we saw is basically uh, Wicca, witchcraft, okay? That's nothing new under the sun. That's how they want to pitch it. Oh, it's just this new nature. No, it's not. It's the same old rebellious uh, occult behavior that's been going on ever since the Tower of Babel. We saw that in the, uh, the Tower of Babel, just like the Bible said, it began to spread across the world. It went from Babel, Babylon to Egypt to Greece to Rome to Asia to India, the island countries, Africa, Latin America. It went to Europe. And then, of course, there in Europe, what we've been seeing is now the history of Wicca because a lot of modern-day Wicca, certainly here in the America, uh, is coming from Europe. European witchcraft, okay? Uh, but all they've done is just change the name. It's just old-fashioned European witchcraft, okay? And as we see, again, it's eclectic. They'll add some other stuff. But by and large, a lot of it came from Europe. So they may say, all right, well, let's take a, let's take a look at that. How, how did this get started? How did they get away with just literally changing the name from witchcraft to Wicca? And so many people are falling for it, even here in the United States. Well, we begin to take a look at the history of Wicca, and we saw that basically it started in Europe uh, with this lady, Margaret Murray, known as the grandmother of Wicca. Then it moved to this guy, Gerald Gardner, the Gardnerian branch of Wicca, the grandfather of Wicca. And then we saw, last time I went to Doreen Valiente, the mother of Wicca. And of course, she was really popular, unfortunately, with the British people. The ban was lifted in 1951. And boy, she came out of the broom closet, as you can see there, literally. And uh, and boy, she began to, uh, she was popular with the, that. And she's got her own uh, uh, exhibition. It's like, it's a good thing. Go see all these th- uh, things with witchcraft. And of course, she wrote a bunch of different books. Now, her big thing we saw was she took the Book of Shadows from Gardner, Okay, the witchcraft manual, and she made it much more palatable for consumption. In fact, she was such a big influence. They said if she didn't do that, then Wicca may never have really gotten off the ground like it is today. So that, that she, they took a look at her as a big uh, linchpin there. Then it went to America. And two different people, starting with Raymond Buckland. He's the father of America Wicca witchcraft. Okay, and he was on the East Coast. And, of course, he and his wife uh, were working together as a, a team. In witchcraft, and they basically Americanized Wicca. Okay, uh, Valiente made it more palatable. This guy made it America, Amer- and he came up with his own call, uh, Sax Wicca. Okay, uh, that uh, people still practice today. And then, of course, uh, he basically wrote his own, my impression of this, his own book of shadows. Uh, it's called the Big Blue Book, the complete book of witchcraft, uh, but, you know, all that stuff. And that's still uh, being done today. Uh, then it went to the West Coast. He's on the East Coast in, in Long Island. Then it went to L.A. through this lady, Sybil Leake. So at the same time, you're getting it here in America from coast to coast. And she helped to popularize that. Her work there, Diary of a Witch, was kind of like a breakout moment, if you will, for her. Very uh, much of an eclectic figure. She always traveled with the crow on her, as we saw there. Uh, Mr. Hotfoot or whatever she called that thing we saw last week. And she was literally 
a celebrity witch. We may not remember her, but during the 60s, she was a celebrity. Uh, People loved her and interviewed her on all kinds of shows. And it wasn't just that she was a celebrity. She shared her craft with celebrities, including powerful political figures. And we saw uh, that's nothing new in the sun because back in England, her mother did the same thing back there in Europe with famous people and big wigs and figures. And we saw, well, that doesn't go on today, does it? Yeah, witchcraft today, of course, we gave a couple uh, examples. One celebrity example was Tom Brady's wife, him admitting that she is a witch, okay, on tape. And then, of course, went through, uh, there's no political party that's been taken over by the occult, is there? Yeah, and you know what's funny? It's not really funny, but a lot of people, you hear them say the Democrat Party, and, you know, tongue-in-cheek, they'll say, well, it's really the Democrat Party. Well, based on what we saw last week with the invasion of the occult party, that's probably more accurate than what people realize. Okay, it's so what we saw, because they are being influenced, and I didn't say any influence, I think they're take, being taken over, uh, including the latest movements with the riots and the BLM. We saw all that's being run by witches. We saw the evidence. It sounds crazy. If you didn't see that study, go back and watch it from last week, part 13. Now we're going to see where it went on from there, okay, on up to modern day. Okay, it went to this guy next, Alex Sanders. Okay, not Alexander, Alexander. And basically, this guy came up with what was called, again, what we're seeing with Wicca, there's a bunch of different branches. Now, I'm going to use this term lightly because it's our term, so I don't want to say that it's, you know, whatever. But basically, like you, let's say you become a Christian and your next choice is, I need to find a church. But then the next thing you know, you're going like, well, which one? Because there's what? So many, and not just so many different churches, there's so many what? Different denominations. Well, to use that loosely, that's really what's going on in witchcraft. Uh, Even with Wicca, there's not just one solid thread, right? If they unfortunately want to make that unfortunate bad choice and say, I'm going to become a witch or follow Wicca, now your next choice is which branch? Is it the traditional witch? Is it Gardnerian? Is it an eclectic witch? Uh, Is it, uh, as we're going to see from this guy, he developed what was called Alexandrian uh, witchcraft. Okay, or Wicca. Okay, basically, he was the self-proclaimed king of witches. So we go from the grandmother, grandfather, the father, the celebrity, to the king of witches. Okay, Uh, but before we get into that, okay, let's once again, shocker. Do you think I'm having any trouble finding a verse in the Bible on stay away from witchcraft or the occult? Oh, no. And we ain't even getting close to exhausting them yet. That's why we're studying this, folks, because it's all over the Bible, and we're supposed to study all of it, not just some of it, okay? But our text tonight, once again, a warning from God, don't get involved in this stuff, is Second Chronicles 33. Turn there if you can. Uh, if you can't, have somebody help you. Uh, Second Chronicles 33, and we're going to find uh, uh, verses 1 uh, through 6 there. And we're going to take a look at the count of one of the uh, unfortunate kings of Judah at that time. If you know anything about First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and of course it records uh, the different kings and kingdoms. You've got the northern kingdom that split off from the southern kingdom. Ten tribes up north, two tribes down south. Okay, and uh, it had highlights. Some were good kings. Uh, a lot of them were bad kings. Most of the north kings were bad. Uh, southern kings had a little bit more, but they went south. And of course, eventually both of them went into captivity. But it records the rulers. Okay, now if you were a ruler... Uh, of a kingdom, and certainly this was a real guy that we're going to read. This really happened. And, but imagine for all these years, all these centuries and centuries and centuries, your life was mentioned for all the world to see like this guy. And it's not good. But notice why God has strong words for him. 
right? You'd hope that you say, well, and he was a great guy, and you, know, you always hope that somebody writes a, a good uh, eulogy for you or something. Not this guy. And this is coming from God. Watch this, right? Uh, verse, uh, uh, chapter 33, Second Chronicles, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became a king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for how many years? 55 years, okay? And he did what? Right out of the gates, man. Second verse. How would you like to have this, your name in the first verse? And here comes the rest. And it goes downhill from here. He did evil. Wow. Well, let's see what he did. Let's see what was evil in the eyes of who? The Lord. All right. He followed the what? What kind of practices? Detestable. So now it's evil in the eyes of the Lord, and it is detestable. Whoa. What was it? What was he getting involved in? That God would say such strong words of the nations of the Lord that had driven out before the Israelites. He built the high places that his father Hezekiah had demolished. Hezekiah, of course, was a good one. Something happened. The baton didn't get transferred to the next generation. So Hezekiah, what's the high places? The high places where they went and worshipped the false gods. So Hezekiah did the right thing, got rid of that. And his son comes along what? He rebuilds it. Oops. Mistake number one. Then he says, he goes on, he even erected altars to who? Baal and made Asherah poles. Now, of course, as we know, the scripture teaches behind every idol is a what? A demon. So again, so now it's getting involved with demonic stuff and false worship and idols and oh, it gets even worse. And then not only that, he says this, he bowed down to all the what? Starry host. Well, I, I'm, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm into astrology. Excuse me. Uh, no, you better, excuse me? Astrology, folks, is occult stuff. We've been seeing that, okay? Uh, he, got, he bowed down to the starry hosts, and he worshiped them. Uh-oh. And then he built altars. Where? He wasn't doing that just outside. He brought it into the temple of the Lord. You know, like what you saw before? Christian witches? What are you doing? You're doing the same thing. You think that the two can merge together. No, you can't. That's profane. Right, But that's what he did. And he did that in the temple of the Lord. He built altars to all the starry hosts. He whoa. What did he do? He killed. He killed his own sons in, in these occult practices. Does that go on today? Yeah, we saw that. It unfortunately, still does. So he killed his sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. Now, also known as, I believe, Gehenna. Now, Gehenna, okay, was the section in, in the area there in Jerusalem that was basically a continual dump that burned. And Jesus in the scripture in the New Testament, he basically uses that as a picture. and basically says, you want to know what hell is like? Look at Gehenna, where the worm dieth not and the fire doesn't go out. And so that's what he's talking about here. And he says, and then on top of that, he what? He practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft, and consulted mediums, and spiritists. And so he did what? He didn't just do evil. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking God to what? Anger. So here's an obvious question. How many guys would say that that's not a good epitaph, that's not a good eulogy you'd like to have? Right? If you're going to rule or be in a position of power and authority. Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious. Okay. Now, here's the thing. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay. In his character. Certainly. Right. Uh, but if he didn't like it then, and if he considered that to be a detestable practice uh, and evil in his eyes, no matter what man wants to put a spin on it. Okay. Uh, even the media. But if uh, how does God feel today? Then if somebody today is involved in sorcery, divination, witchcraft, consulting mediums and spiritists, or, you know, witchcraft or Wicca. It is detestable to him. It is an evil thing in his eyes, not just back then, 
Same thing today. So let's again take a look at why and how people, even here in America, are still continuing on and increasingly getting involved in this detestable practice called witchcraft, relabeled as Wicca. Well, again, it's, it's this guy. It's our next guy, Alexander, or Alex Sanders. Okay, and again, he came up with uh, the Alexandrian tradition. Okay, and let me just give you a quick video just to, to break that down. Traditional witch gardener, and there's a ton of them, but just let me give you a little idea. What's, what's the difference with that? And again, basically what he did is, is these guys, they start their own coven, they get their own group, and then they put their own spin on it. And then it kind of branches off. So let's take a look at uh, his group called the Alexandrian Wicca. Let's take a look. Traditional witch. A traditional witch practices from a historical perspective in following the old craft that came before the modern adaptation of Wicca. Many traditional witches study their ancestry and the folklore attached to it. They want to honour the old ways of worshipping and most often choose a pantheon that aligns with their cultural background. Gardnerian Witch The father of Wicca, Gerald Gardner, developed this practice in Britain during the mid-20th century. From his original coven, Brickett's Wood, he passed on his interpretation of witchcraft. As an initiation tradition, only another gardenarian coven can bring in a new practitioner. This is done in order to trace the lineage of practitioners back to the very first coven. In this practice, covens have 13 members and are led by a high priestess and priest. Gardenarians adhere to the story of the horned god dying and being reborn each year as the mother goddess remains eternally alive. Their rituals are highly elaborate, and many of the orthodox covens still practice ritual nudity. Gardnerian covens are quite secretive, so it can be a bit difficult to figure out as a new practitioner. Alexandrian Witch Alex and Maxine Sanders created the Alexandrian tradition as an offshoot of Gardner's practice. While the two practices are similar in many ways, they are very different paths. Alexandrian witches are initiated and organised around a high priestess. The Alexandrian tradition focuses on the ancient archetypes of the oak and holly kings, who battle and win, then battle and lose, to bring out the light and dark, warmth and cold. While not as secretive as their Gardnerian counterparts, Alexandrian witches still place emphasis on tradition and following protocol. So again, it's just another spinoff of you know, witchcraft. A lot of similarities, but again, you'll have certain aspects, certain groups will focus on this particular aspect of ritual, or they won't, or these are a little bit more on this side, a little bit more hierarchical in structure. These are a little bit more free-willing in structure, but that's basically what it is. In fact, uh, some of the, uh, the Gardnerian witches uh, have said that Sanders created his version, the Alexandrian Wicca, uh, because it was after he was refused initiation into the Gardnerian covens. And so then he basically got a copy of the Book of Shadows and off he went. And eventually he says, fine, I'm not saying he actually said this, but I'm saying basically went and said, okay, I'm going to start my own. Okay, so that's basically what was going on. Now, he was a so-called uh, psychic with a flamboyant style. He was the most public witch in Britain. 
all kinds of headlines uh, were given to him uh, about his supposed sensational acts of uh, magic, witchcraft. He was born in Manchester, the oldest of six children. His father was an entertainer, an alcoholic. And listen to this. By Sanders' own account, when he was seven, he discovered that his grandmother, a lady named Mary Bibby, standing naked in the kitchen in the middle of a circle drawn on the floor. Right? So, so listen to this. this is, imagine you're a kid, seven years old. You walk into the kitchen, and your grandmother is naked with the, most likely a pentagram or who knows what, some, which circle uh, doing stuff. Now, that's bad enough. Okay? Uh, but listen to this. His grandmother took him and then revealed to him that she was a hereditary witch. Obviously, you're going to have to come up with something while you're naked in the thing and whatever. <laughs> But listen to this. She initiated him on the spot. And this is coming from him. She ordered him to enter the circle, take off his clothes, bend down with his head between his thighs. She took a knife, nicked his male body parts, and said, quote, you are one of us now. His grandmother did that to him. Wow. Then she gave him her book of the shadows, again, back from Gardnerium, which she copied, taught him the rites and the magic of witches, and then he began to discover his own so-called psychic abilities, clairvoyance, and, quote, healing touches, okay? That with his special powers, now he can heal people. Now, I'll give you some examples in a little bit, but I want to answer that question. Wait a second. Can witches, can Satanists, can uh, sorcerers, people involved in the occult, can they actually do healings? Well... Let's take a look at that. Now, what we saw before, to use a good analogy, God does miracles. Okay? Satan has power. And so, if you will, Satan, all he can do is magic. Now, he's got power, but it ain't like God. And he uses that power, way lesser than God, to deceive people. So, let's let's deal with that. Uh, This guy says, you'll be hard-pressed to find someone who's never heard of some kind of religious miracle. For instance, he says, many Catholics are convinced that the validity of the very sightings of the Virgin Mary around the world are a miracle. Uh, the stigmata that appear in people's hands, oh, they've been, you know, you know, being pierced, uh, or weeping and bleeding statues. Remember that one we showed in that one study, uh, in our final countdown study, and it was red, and it was whatever, and then the guy later says, I think it was the birds eating out of the tomato patch. <laughs> That was so funny. Yeah, whatever. Uh, but anyway, so weeping, bleeding statues. Uh, they're reported miracles, not just in Catholicism, which is not biblical Christianity, right? Uh, but other religions, even in Hinduism, Buddhism, even Islam. They say, oh, no, we got miracles. And they attest to that. Okay, and the same thing in witchcraft. Oh, no, see, this is, we got real power. People are being healed. So is that really going on? And again, we dealt with that in our New Age study in Hinduism with the, uh, remember the guy that could do the holy ash and all that stuff and the, the sleight of hand and all the stuff that was going on. But, but there are, there, Satan does have power. It ain't like God, but he does have power, okay? He does, uh, and, and we've already seen this. Satan uh, not only is a liar and the father of all lies, but he can appear as an angel of light. And he uses his power to draw people away from God, Right? Uh, when people go to a Marian apparition, is that drawing them to God? No, it draws them to Mary outside of the scripture to an experience instead of God. Uh, somebody that had a, a weeping, bleeding statue, right? And then they start throwing money to it and they pray to it. Is that drawing them to God? No, Hinduism, Buddhism, when these uh, uh, guru guys supposed to do all this healing and special acts and they make candy appear and people eat it, mm, as we saw before, is that drawing them closer to God? No, right? 
So, uh, so that's what he says. Now, when Moses and Aaron confronted Pharaoh, and we, we dealt with this already in our Egypt history part, um, they, they did perform miraculous signs to confirm that their message was from God. Now, we did see that the Magi of Egypt in the beginning could replicate the first few, but what happened? Eventually, God's snake ate up their snake, sending the message, you ain't got no power compared to God, right? And then even after that, they couldn't do any of the other ones. But, but, the, but what's the point? They, they did have power to do some things that could deceive people, right? And so that's the same thing. In fact, what's interesting, and this is why I believe Revelation 9 talks about people, as we already dealt with that text, in the seven-year tribulation, they will not stop worshiping demons. And, and there, there's going to be pharmakeia, uh, speaking of uh, sorcery, witchcraft, the occult drugs that goes along with that as well, right? Witchcraft is uh, not so surprising on the rise because that's going to be in the seven-year tribulation, and the Antichrist is going to tap into that community, including the occult, okay, and those looking for signs and wonders, which is even big in the charismatic movement, as we already dealt with, and he's going to do people, right? During the tribulation, the Antichrist will use all sorts of what? False lying signs and wonders, okay, uh, to do people, right? Jesus warned that in the end times, it's going to be characterized by treachery, counterfeit prophets, false teachers, uh, great signs and wonders to deceive, Matthew 24, Okay, and this is why the Bible says that when somebody comes up to you or says, wow, that's a miracle, that's incredible what that happened, you are to quote 1 John 4, 1, what? Test all the spirits to see whether or not this is from God. Okay, uh, and so if you have any doubt, you need to go back to the scripture, and if it lines up the scripture, if it points people to God, points them to Jesus Christ, okay, that's one thing. But if it doesn't, even on one thing, well, most of it does, it's got to be 100%. Okay, uh, but so my point is, I wanted to bring that up because again, these people—that's how they seduce. Well, look at this; we've got power, and this person was healed with our special witchcraft techniques, and that doesn't mean it's from God, right? So just because they're supposed miracles or whatever, uh, it doesn't mean it is. It's the same thing with witchcraft. But listen to what he said—he had the power to do, and maybe this did happen. Okay, but listen, I'll just give you a couple of them, and this is from him. He reportedly got listen rid of warts. And it was a two-bang punch, Ron. Watch this. He didn't just get rid of warts. He got rid of them by wishing them on someone else who was already ugly. Now, that's mean. That's mean. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. That's supposed to be a miracle, uh, according to that. He claimed to cure a man of a heroin addiction. He claimed to cure a woman by laying hand, his hands on her head, and the affliction went away. He also said he cured a young woman with stomach cancer by sitting with her in the hospital for three days and nights, holding her feet and pouring healing energy into her. He uh, supposedly uh, could affect other cures by, listen, pointing at the troubled spots on the body and concentrating. Right? And he said, quote, pointing, he said, never failed. Now, this next one tells you, obviously, where this is coming from. Because another thing that he, quote, boasts, you shouldn't be boasting in this one. He said he claimed to be able to have the ability to give magical abortions by pointing at the womb and commanding the pregnancy to end. That tells you where this is coming from, folks. Satan's not just a liar. We just quoted the text, John 8. He's what? He's a murderer. And he's been one from the beginning. Okay. Another one that he uh, did, supposedly famous uh, abilities, was he cured supposedly his daughter Janice, who was born uh, with her left foot twisted backwards. The doctor said, uh, there's nothing we could do. He received an impression from a familiar spirit. What's that? A demon 
The demon told him to, quote, take olive oil, warm it, anoint her foot. He did so, then twisted her foot straight, and voila, the foot remained corrected. Janice walked normally, except a slight limp in cold, damp weather. Well, that's not really getting healed, then, is it? When God does it, it's perfect. Give me a break. And that was supposed to be one of his most famous ones. Whatever. Early on, he worked as a chemist, believe it or not, in the laboratory in Manchester. He eventually uh, marries a 19-year-old co-worker uh, named Doreen. They have two kids, Paul and Janice. I just talked about her, and that's supposed to healing. The marriage rapidly disintegrated. Uh, she took the children. She left them. Then he goes through this long period of drifting between one low-level job to another, drinking, indulging in sexual fl- flings with both men and women. And then he decided to really ramp up the witchcraft. And he got involved in what is called the left-hand path, specifically to bring him wealth and power. Now, who does that sound like? Charismatic community again. Back to your word faith stuff, right? Now, you go, left-hand path. What's the left-hand path? Well, let's talk about that a little bit. We might get into this in much greater detail in our study, Lord willing, on Satanism. The left hand and the right hand path is the dichotomy of the uh, opposing forces of magic, of witchcraft, right? Now, that's why you have in the Baphomet, which is pictured here, you have one hand going one direction, one going the other. One's the left hand path, one's the right hand path. Now, well, how they break it out, they say the left hand path is black magic or black shamanism, while the right hand path is benevolent white magic. But excuse me, it's all coming from the same beast. It's all bad. But that's what they mean. So he goes the black magic left-hand route for power. Now, just so you know, again, we might get into this much greater deeper in our Satanism study. uh, But they basically, a left-hand path person that goes down that route on top of what he's already doing, uh, basically they reject the status quo of anything. And anything that goes against the norm, anything that is morally correct, morally good, they do the exact opposite on purpose. Okay, is, is their path. Uh, and they believe that when they uh, do these things of taboo, that that gives them the opposite of what is right, right? If God says don't kill, what do they do? Kill. If God says don't commit adultery, what do they do? Adultery. They do the exact opposite because they believe that that's going to give them more power. Okay, is that, that's a left-hand path person. They question religious moral dogma, and of course they embrace all kinds of uh, se- uh, sexual stuff in their rituals. I'll get to that in just a second. Now, that left-hand path, and again, we might get into this in greater detail later, was originated here in the West from this lady we saw in our New Age study, Madame Blavatsky. Okay, she was the founder of the Theosophical Societies we saw in our New Age study. And where she got it from was she traveled around the world. She went to Asia, as we saw in our history study, what was in Asia? Witchcraft and adult, just like every country. Then she also goes to India and Tibet, and what was also there? witchcraft and cold. So basically, she takes what she got from Asia and Indian Tibet, especially from India, and she basically developed the left-hand path. She translated it and their practices and basically Americanized it, okay, from the Indian tantric practice. And that Indian tantric practice uh, basically emphasizes you break Hindu societal taboos, basically what they say, you do the opposite, right? And then they were already engaged in it. She just you know, kind of like uh, Valiente cleaned up the book and, and, and then Buckland kind of Americanized. Okay, that's what she's doing with the Indian and occult practices and then she's bringing it over to America. Uh, but they also have, uh, they have sexual intercourse in their rituals. They drink alcohol, eating meat, 
course, in India, that's not a big, you know, that they believe that's your relative, and, but they do it because it's the opposite. Uh, they assemble in graveyards, and all that is part of the practice. So she basically brings that over to America, and that begins to spread. And, of course, that's one of the many things that this Alex Sanders got involved in on top of the other witchcraft stuff that he got from his grandmother, the Book of Shadows, Gardnerium, and that he's still not done. Okay, and again, this developed into a branch that's still going on today in Wicca called Alexandrian Wicca, right? He also, and this is coming from him, he also worshiped the devil. Stop right there. How many times, and you'll hear this from people involved in Wicca, don't you say that we worship Satan. We don't worship Satan. Now, there is a misnomer that the horned god is necessarily Satan. Okay, I'll give you that. That's not necessarily. And we'll get into that eventually. Who is this horned god? But number one, this practice of witchcraft, any occult practice, any practice, anything that comes outside the Bible is inspired by who? Satan, number one. But you are going to find people involved in witchcraft and Wicca who literally do, as he admitted, they worship Satan. And I'm going to show you that on tape in just a second. Because that's a misnomer. Oh, you can't say we have nothing to do with Satan, man. This is just worshiping the Mother Earth, the goddess, and nature. No, it's not, okay? Now, before I get into that proof, he also got into another one. So again, this guy's picking up all kinds of bad stuff, man. He's making it into this his own religion. Uh, he got involved in this thing. It's called the uh, Book of Abramaline. Okay, it's the story of an Egyptian mage. Okay, Egypt, what was going on there? Occult, witchcraft, all stuff. And uh, by a guy named Abraham, or Abramaline, hence the name, who taught a system of magic to a Jewish guy in Germany, is how the story goes in this book. Uh, presumably, he lived supposedly 1362 to 1458, and uh, it gained popularity, uh, this book, in the 19th and 20th century. So again, Alex Sanders gets involved in this aspect too. Now, this book is more written like a novel or autobiography, and basically it describes this guy Abraham going from Germany to Egypt, learning these occult techniques, bringing them back. And the text describes all kinds of rituals uh, that you can do uh, that is in this book that Sanders got into, such as uh, the purpose is to obtain knowledge and conversation of a magician's guardian angel. So you want to connect with your guardian angel. Of course, it's not a guardian angel. It's a what? It's a demon. And quote, after you go through these rituals in this book, it's completed, your guardian angel will appear and reveal magic secrets. Well, an angel from God ain't going to do that. So that tells you what you're dealing with. But that's what's in this book. And then, once that's accomplished, the magician must evoke, quote, the 12 kings and dukes of hell, including Lucifer, Leviathan, and Belial, and bind them. Have fun with that. You're the one that's now bound, involved in that stuff. So he gets involved in that. Okay? And it's going to get even worse. But soon, believe it or not, he found some people to support him financially. He starts taking off. His coven not only got launched... Uh, which he claimed to have 1,623 initiates at this time, a hundred different covens going. Uh, but then he began to get media attention, and he's attracting more followers and all this stuff. So again, media helped him to get out there. Uh, then he was uh, elected uh, basically the king of witches. The media ran with that and basically said he's the king of all witches. And boy, he liked that. That's good for the ego, right? And he, he was kind of an eclectic character. Now, he claimed to have created, listen to this, a flesh and blood spirit baby. You're going, what's that? Well, this takes us back to our Scientology study. Remember the first three weeks we dealt with just nothing but L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology's occult background, right? And this is through a practice. He did this. So, he so-called created a flesh and blood spirit baby 
in a uh, rite of sex magic with the help of a male assistant. So whatever they were doing. Okay, well, you know, what's sex magic? Well, again, uh, basically sometimes spelled M-A-G-I-C-K. Uh, it's basically uh, sexual, using sexual activity, sexual arousal in your practices, in your rituals, because they believe that in that state, again, you're going to have more power. So now they're involving that. Okay, and uh, so he was involved in that. Uh, and where did he get that from? Guess who pops up in the scene again? Aleister Crowley, once again, the evilest man that ever lived, according to secular media. Okay, only God knows who the evilest man ever was, but that's what it goes. So he uh, is the one that popularized this, uh, certainly in the West um, and, uh, and, and over in Europe, too. And, but he took it, the sex magic, and he basically turned it into a formula. Like, if you do this particular sexual act, then combine it with your ritual, it'll give you X, Y power to do this certain thing. I'm not going to give you the list of the different so-called sexual acts because they're abominations. And if you know anything, and we'll probably eventually get to this if we're still alive and still here in Satanism, even the Satanic Bible written by Anton LaVey has these ritual, sexual rituals to do to start connecting with Satanism and give you power and stuff of that nature. But it's, it's that mindset of uh, sex magic. But that was, came from him. And again, that was L. Ron Hubbard. That's what he was involved in. Now, remember what he was involved in? He wasn't just involved in, quote, sex magic, but he worked with uh, a lady, Majorie Cameron and Jack Parsons, maybe the founder of the JPL Laboratories, the rocket guy. Okay. And they were doing a ritual called Babylon Working were they through sex magic, through with working, doing whatever they were doing with this majory girl and their rituals and the, the other things they were doing, that they were going, they wanted to bring in the Antichrist into reality. But so that's, sounds crazy. Okay, but that's another thing that this Sanders guy gets involved in. Well, let's go back to this supposed flesh and blood baby that he pops up on the scene going through this sex magic ritual and all this stuff, right? Now, does this sound like anything you'd want to get involved in? Does this sound like anything healthy that you... Hey, I'm, here my seven-year-old grandson. Let me teach you some great stuff. This is sick. And yet, how is it portrayed in the media? It's wonderful. It's people worshiping nature. It's just another form of religion. This is deep. No wonder God says detestable. It's evil in my eyes. Stay away from that. Don't do that. But anyway... This sex magic baby supposedly appeared, but then it disappeared shortly after, and then, quote, grew up as a spirit that took over him, Sanders, in his trance channeling. So now he's possessed by this thing. Whatever it is, popped into whatever. Then he gave it a name. He called it Michael, okay? And he said it was responsible for forcing him to carry on wild parties and other abominable acts. And then later he says it became valuable to him, giving him advice in healing matters. That's not the first demon that he was probably possessed by. Uh, he also channeled a f- another familiar spirit, i.e. demon, that he called uh, Dimdike, D-E-M-D-I-K-E, uh, who he said was uh, a persecuted witch from another time in the 17th century. Well, it's a demon, hello. Right, so, so he's involved in that. Then he marries this lady, Maxime. Maxime was a Roman Catholic. And uh, 20 years his junior, she got initiated in 1964 in the craft. She became his highest priestess. 1968, they get married. And again, they just start taking off. Now, part of the reason why they took off is because he got favorable press. Media helps you get, unfortunately, the message out, good, bad, or ugly. 
right? And this is serious, ugly with a capital U. Uh, he was catapulted into the national spotlight by, it first started with a newspaper article. And then he got some traction going there. Then it went from the newspaper article in 19, uh, in the 60s, and then it led to a, quote, romanticized biography of his life called The King of Witches. And then it turned into a film in 1969 called The Legend of the Witches. And I'm not going to show you the whole thing because we ain't got time. It was over, uh, like I think, an hour long. I'm just going to give you a couple minutes to see what was in this film. But this came out in 1969. And... Uh, and this is their documentary. But you tell me who this guy really worships. This is in their own documentary, right? Let's take a look at that. alone she wandered, the waves, her sighs, and tears of solitude. She searched everywhere for a companion, but found only reflections of herself. Lonely, Diana desired a lover. That desire became the dawn, and from the dawn, came the sun, Lucifer, the god of light. Hail, Lucifer, from the abodes of night, pour forth thy store of praise. I lowly bend before thee, I adore thee to the end, with loving sacrifice thy shrine adorn. My lips are to thy feet, my prayer Upon the rising incense smoke, but born, then descend to aid me, for without thee I'm lonely and forlorn. It must be noted that in this ceremony, Lucifer is not the devil, but the bringer of light. Bring light into our darkness, O Lord. So much for not worse for Satan. That was blunging yet. Notice that music, it just made it so, oh, so, so spiritual, so, it's sick. This is heavy-duty occult practices, witchcraft, and he's pledging his allegiance to Lucifer, right? Now, that came out in 1969, and from that, boy, things took off like a rocket, right? He's given numerous appearances on media talk shows, public speaking engagements, publicity. He exploited the whole thing. Now, you're thinking, that's crazy, but here's the thing. I want to bring this up. It's not by chance that that happened. Because that was 1969, and something happened in 1968. They did away with the motion picture production code. Now, if you're not familiar with Hollywood, the media, and stuff of that nature, the reason why they... And this was in force from 1934 to 1968. When the movie pictures first came out, they were extremely lewd and graphic and pornographic and all that stuff. And even in like the 20s, you're thinking, it's called the Roaring 20s, 20s for a reason. Okay, but it's very lewd. And so it got so bad that they banded together and created this motion picture production code. 
right? And they basically were censoring anything that came out of this entity and it put a stop. And this is where we would have the, what we call the heyday uh, of films, uh, like the Ten Commandments and things that actually were promoting the Bible. I'm not saying they were ac- completely accurate, but it ain't like what we got today. And again, this was in effect all the way until 1968. Now, let me give you some of the things that they, uh, during that time frame, the heyday of Hollywood, when you could actually watch a movie without going, eh, right? Um, here's the thing. You, profanity, you couldn't do. You couldn't mention the words God, Lord, Jesus Christ, unless, of course, it was in a proper religious context. You couldn't use uh, curse words, okay? Uh, you couldn't have any kind of nudity, not even in a silhouette form. You couldn't have illegal traffic of drugs, any kind of sexual perversion, sex hygiene, vener- venereal diseases. You couldn't even show the actual birth of a child, and even in silhouette. Uh, there are just some things that... You couldn't ridicule the clergy. They also said certain things that you can portray, but you better portray it correctly, including the use of the flag. You better honor the country. That's all gone, right? You couldn't give a specific, uh, not only promotion that it was a positive behavior, but you couldn't do it in such a way that people could say, hey, now I know how to do it, including things like theft, robbery, safe cracking, dynamiting of trains, mines, buildings, etc., because they didn't want people to go, hey, that's how you do it. I'll go do that. And today you got shows like, let me show you how I got away with the perfect crime. They show you step by step how to kill people and do what. You couldn't show brutality, gruesomeness, uh, technique of committing murder by any method, methods of struggling. You couldn't give sympathy to criminals. Remember what the good guy always won? Uh, You had to have a positive attitude towards public characters and institutions. You could not glamorize sedition. Boy, is that needed today? Uh, you couldn't have cruelty to animals or to children. Women could not, quote, sell her virtue. There's nothing about rape or attempted rape. No first night scenes. No man and woman in bed together. No seduction of girls. You had to honor the institution of marriage. You couldn't portray drugs in a positive light. Uh, you had to have a, a positive thing with law enforcement and law enforcing officers. And there was no excessive kissing. Now, that sounds crazy and antiquated today. But that kept a little on a lot of this stuff. Now, here's my point. That changed in 1968 to, it was literally abandoned, okay, in 1968, instead of that code of conduct, that, that they, and they had the power. They could submit a script and say, you ain't making it, and they couldn't make it, and they switched to what we deal with today called the rating system. Now, that happened in 1968. His film, Glamorizing Luciferian Witchcraft, dare I say, do you think it's by chance the very next year? caps off man and so now it's been going downhill ever since and I got to kick this while I got it. you're talking about Hollywood we saw in our other studies before uh, and uh, it said uh, the name Hollywood was carefully chosen as the name for the newly established motion picture back in the 1920s in ancient witchcraft the most powerful wood for a witch or wizard to make a magic wand was from a holly tree thus the most powerful magicians always used a Hollywood magic wand and one of the things that they used the wand made of Hollywood for was to mesmerize people. And Hollywood today is doing that, including mesmerizing them and thinking that witchcraft in the occult is good. But Sanders, basically, his, you know, he's kind of a, a flamboyant guy. He always appeared in robes. Everybody else was basically naked. He said the reason why he did that was because people need to know who the leader was. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, he was a con artist. Shocker. Uh, he basically passed off writings of others, including uh, Gardner and Valiente, but other occultists as his own, and they weren't. So he just 
picking and choosing and saying he's a liar, okay? But he's following the uh, liar, ultimate liar, Satan, okay? Uh, he died in 1988 after a long battle of lung cancer, and his funeral was a big media event. Witches, pagans, people came from all over. Uh, but it launched Alexandrian Wicca, and still to this day is in force around many different countries. Uh, and they basically said that uh, many people might never have been introduced to it except for him. Not a, you thought Manasseh was bad? Do you think this guy's in trouble? Mm, I don't know what he did with his last breath. Hope he got right with God through Jesus. Not looking good. But real quick, let's get into the person. This brings us up to modern day Wicca. And the one who's really promoting that is this lady, Lori Cabot. She was born in 1933. She's still alive today, still doing her unfortunate deeds. Okay, she's 87 years old. That's a younger picture. I'll show you some other ones. Uh, she's a so-called, not just witch, but author, artist, businesswoman, civil rights watchdog for witches, helping it get accepted. She's come up with a couple of her own different branches of uh, witchcraft, including the Cabot tradition, her last name. And she is known as the, quote, official witch of Salem. Okay, now wait a second. Let's deal with that real quick because you hear that one come up. You know, a lot of people, they'll sit there, oh, you Christians, I'm not listening to you because you you did the horrible deed with the Crusades, man. Well, first of all, I wasn't there. I didn't do that, number one. Number two, those weren't Christians. Those were Catholics and Roman Catholicism and the popes. I'm not defending that behavior. It was wrong, right? So I don't need to even respond to that. So don't accuse me of that. Same thing with the Salem witch trial. Oh, you Christians, you, you're horrible. Not only the Crusades, you did the Salem witch trials. How many guys heard that accusation thrown in our face? Right? And you guys are, I shouldn't listen. You guys are a whole bunch of hypocrites and you're dangerous and all. Well, first of all, two wrongs don't make a right. Now, this did happen, okay, but I'm not going to defend it because what happened was not biblical. And let me give you a couple of reasons why. Number one, the people at that time who were guilty of, granted, it was pretty bad. Hundreds of people were arrested in prison, tried of the crime of witchcraft. Nineteen of them were hanged. One was crushed under heavy stones, and five more died in prison. So it's bad. But is this something that God condoned? No. Why? Because they made two mistakes. Number one, they tried today in the New Testament age of grace under the new covenant. They tried to apply the Old Testament standard that is not applicable to today. And they went back to the Old Testament passages like Exodus 22, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live, or Leviticus 20, a man or woman that has a familiar spirit or is a wizard shall be put to death. They said, see, that's why we need to kill them. No, if that were true, then why, as we saw before in Acts 19, uh, when Paul was ministering to Ephesus, the people came out who practiced witchcraft. Remember, they burned their books. And then they confessed their sinful deeds. Now, instead of stoning them, according to the Old Testament, what did Paul do? He welcomed them when they confessed and repented of their sins. Why? Because today, under the New Testament, we don't kill them, we witness to them. We don't condone what they do, but we witness to them. And one more example, the Simon the Sorcerer. We already saw that passage as well. Acts uh, chapter 8. He was not stoned, but he was rebuked by Peter. So if we're still supposed to kill them, per the Old Testament, and that was applicable for today, then why didn't Peter and Paul do that? Well, it's because we're not under the Old Testament. That was the Old Testament civil law. Now, God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, is in force for all time. That's his moral character. But the civil law, the priestly law, the dietary law, that's for the Jewish nation, not the church. Right? And so they made a mistake. They misapplied Old Testament passages saying it was applicable for today. And that's a whole other can of worms. Churches still do that today, not just on this thing, but on other things. They try to bring in a bunch of legalism. Well, that's what the Bible says. Yeah, but that's the Old Covenant. That's not for today, right? The other thing is, believe it or not, these people were suffering from, I'll use a modern term, 
fake news. <laughs> Seriously. And it created a hysteria that was going on. And most of the people that were accused, it was just one person's word against another. It was hearsay. Uh, people, and they got into a frenzy. And is that how you're supposed to move forward on stuff? You don't move forward on gossip and slander and hearsay. If you're going to do something, especially something of this nature, you better make sure you get your facts right. Because people are what? Innocent until proven guilty. But they're running on fake news. What is that applicable today? Right? Creating a hysteria. So again, here's my point. I'm not going to defend the Salem witch trials. You can't use that and throw that in my face. Because number one, I didn't do that. I'm not condoning it. And I'll admit that it was wrong. However, that doesn't mean that witchcraft is good and acceptable and a positive lifestyle for people to follow. And I have the right to speak up against that. In fact, in love, I'm commanded by God to witness to them so that hopefully they can get out of that. Do you see the difference? Okay, so you don't need to shy back from the crusade accusation or the Salem witch trials, okay? But let's get back to the Cabot lady, okay? I, oh, I will say this, and it does go on. We saw this, and it's still going on today. If witches do kill people, what do we do? We take them to courts of law, just like any murderer. And we deal with it according to the law, right? So I will say that. Let's go back to Cabot. Cabot was uh, famous for dressing still to this day, even in her 80s, dressing in black. That was her thing. Uh, black garments, uh, black makeup. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, always wearing her pentagram, pentacle, uh, things of that nature. She claimed to come from a long line of uh, witches, even as far back as supposedly 4,000 years ago, which would put you around the time of the Babylon. So I, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's just a long line of unfortunate witchcraft. She was born as the only child in 1933. Listen to this place. We Waka. Oklahoma. And I didn't look it up on the map, but I'm uh, thinking that's where the family uh, of uh, Fozzie Bear came from. And when his family gets together, what do they do? We walk up. Walk up, walk up, walk up, walk up. Read. Dude, that took me a long time to come up with that. Work with me, will you? Work with me. You come up with something funny for We Walk Oklahoma. But anyway, I digress. Let's move on. We're almost closing. All right. She supposedly. <laughs> By the age of six, she gets involved. So remember Sanders? His grandma, naked with the witchcraft thing, gets him going. She starts at six. <clears throat> but uh, her father, well, listen to this, was a science-orientated man, and he didn't even believe in the devil. But since he was a big science man, it influenced her, and guess what she came up with? Remember the other guys? They, remember Valiante made it more palatable? For people to get into, more poetic sounding and stuff like that, the Book of Shadows. And then remember Buckland Americanized it for the American audience, not so ritualistic and don't tell me what to do. She is the one who's responsible for trying to point, uh, paint it as a science. It's just a science. That's all this is. This is not a cult, this is a science. And remember that's what Hinduism did when they tried to first evangelize the West? Remember that study? They tried in the late 1890s to come over here, and America just rejected them and their Hindu practices with yoga and meditation, all that stuff. We still had a good Christian heritage back then. Not now. But what did they do to gain ground? They came back again, re-strategized, and the way they got people to get into it is they claimed that their religion was a science and that when you meditate and practice yoga, see, we, put you, we hooked you up to brainwaves. It shows that your heart rate goes down, your stress levels go down, Okay, that may be true, but guess what? It's still a false practice. It's still Hinduism. Well, she does the same thing with witchcraft 
in her version, okay? And that came from her dad. Uh, she was uh, also initiated by three other witches, and guess where she m- met them? The library. So, once again, you see uh, media involved, but the library. Uh, and then, when she was 16, these witches from the library initiated her. She was anointed with oil, dubbed with a sword. She took the sword, impaled it in the earth, and said, I return to earth my wisdom. I, quote, call myself a witch. And then she starts branching out to create this witchcraft as a science thing. Now, she, she uh, was married twice, both failed marriages. After her second divorce, they go to the, her and her daughters at the time. She had a daughter, uh, or daughters, and uh, she made a vow from that point forward, so she had bad relationships with guys, and she, quote, now I'm going to live my life totally as a witch, and I'm going to not just live it totally as a witch, I'm going to even wear nothing but traditional witch clothing. That's when she starts doing all the black, uh, and, the, the, and the, not just the clothing, but the pinnacle, pentagram, uh, and including emulating the goddess by, this is her words, emulating the goddess by outlining her eyes in black makeup, she says, according to ancient tradition. I can't prove this, but what it got me thinking was, even as far back as Egypt, when you look at the artwork, what do they have around the eyes? Major, you know, and then you know the background with the occult. I don't know, could be. So ladies, no, I'm getting into legalism if you do that. But I'm just saying that, that was very interesting. But it's all black. You're going, like, well, why is it black? Why is she so big on black? Why do witches, even today, in general, you hear them, they're always what? Black hat, black thing. Why black? Well, according to them, and certainly Cabot, they believe that black absorbs light while white reflects it. So this absorption of light gives them more power. So when you're black, it gives you more power. They also believe that gold jewelry, this is from Cabot's tradition, that gold jewelry will give you more power. And of course, you got to have, they believe, the, the pinnacle and things of that nature. But in 1955, she founded the Cabot tradition of the science of witchcraft. And again, she's trying to make it into a science. And still to this day, that includes getting indoctrinated into witchcraft, but also parapsychology, astrology, meditation, aura reading, balancing and healing, the use of crystals, psychic arts, and past life regression. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like just a big old pile of new age, if you guys remember that. And that's why we said New Age is just a bunch of hodgepodge. Of a, it's just, it's a cold as well. Okay, but, but again, don't freak people out by calling it, hey, get involved in the worship of Lucifer. And, and a cold practice is, yeah, whoo, create your own spiritual baby. No, it's New Age. What's that? It's, it's not, no, it's just Wicca. We worship, no, wait, wait. this is a science. This is a nature science with, for, for, for alleviate stress and have a happy life, especially against those mean men. We'll get into that, Lord willing, next time on the feminism. Uh, but anyway, so basically, she also follows to what's called the Wiccan Reed. And that is, do what you will and harm none. Turn to somebody and go like this. <laughs> because this is the biggest, with all due respect, and I hear we have some witches tuning in. That's serious hypocrisy. Because right now, we're already being informed that we are appearing on witches' boards and they're working together to do curses and hexes on us. And harm none? Anybody see a, some duplicity there? And not only that, let me give you an example. This was from a British broadcast recently. And the lady actually shows them how to get rid of somebody. What happened to not harming somebody? Watch this. This is nuts. You were about 17, weren't you? And it was through a friend who was doing Reiki to begin with. Yeah. That you had this sort of conversation. You got into that. But how did that lead 
to you becoming a witch? I think that just kind of opened the path, like my spiritual path, and like just all the people I met through doing that back then, and all the years, and all the synchronicities, and yeah. all the crazy people, and I don't know, incidents that have happened in my life have really led me to where you are now. So I this am. isn't like sort of witches on broomsticks with cats. This no. is very different to that. So what type of witch are you? I am, I call myself an eclectic witch. So I take, you know, different little bits of magic from all over the place. And it's all about self-empowerment and doing rituals to help you manifest, connect to the moon and make you feel really good about yourself. Mm. So you have cast spells though where they've been so powerful that the result has been brilliant. Yeah, amazing. And um, the most recent one that was crazy was that I manifested a holiday. I did a spell for a holiday. Um, It was a little spell with a bay leaf and a sacred symbol. And I got a free two-week holiday to Bali, all expenses paid. And you're going to show us some of these now, aren't yeah. you, what you do? Yeah. Have we got the don't, getting rid of people? <laughs> right, OK. It's so Lacey. this is Lacey. Where's the information on Lacey, then? So Lacey says right. she'd like to get rid of her lazy husband. There he is. OK, so she needs he's, to make some black salt. He's gone, he's gone to sleep <laughs> when he has things to do. So what would she do? Now, she, she needs to make she some needs shoes salt. for this, doesn't she? Shoes are good, yeah. Well, you right. can write it down and just put it on the paper and then just rip it, you know, just kind of like rub it all over the paper because it's powerful. So okay. this is black salt. So it's a mix of like burnt sage, which is really great for protection, and old charcoal from spells that I've used. So if you are making spells, you can have the charcoal and salt. Oh. And so what you would do is just take a little pinch of it like that, pop it in there. And then because you want it to work fast, you can use cayenne pepper. So pepper speeds it up. Yeah, speeds it up, makes things happen really fast. So you pop a little pinch of that in there like that. Yeah. And then what you do is you pop it in the pestle and mortar like that. And then you can blend it. If you're blending stuff to go away, you go anti-clockwise. If you want ah. stuff to come in, you go clockwise. Hmm. Oh, right. So you can just do a blend And you put that in their shoes. And then what They're you do is... They're going to see that it's in there because pepper is going to make everything go orange. <laughs> put it in the tip. So <laughs> that makes it go away. And then... Put it in the tip and then make their shoes face the front door. Yeah. And then put a pinch in each in the tip. And then that seven days, they'll be gone. Yeah, and it works fast. Where do you even start with this? I mean, first of all, good thing we got rid of those standards. They're just, it's like a, they're showing witchcraft techniques as a life hack. You want to improve your life? And so they're glamorizing, actually. And then not only that, what blew me away is that they showed you the actual step-by-step ritual on TV. And that was just one of them. They showed a bunch of other ones. I just showed you one example. Did you see the tagline, though, there at the very beginning? She was what? A witch that wanted to show you how to live your best life. (laughs) Who does that sound like? Mr. Osteen. Where it's all about self, self self-empowerment, self. Now, as we saw, what's the number one law of Satanism? Do what you will shall be the whole of the wall. That came from Crowley, I believe. Okay, and that selfism is satanic, and that she that's, that's all about the. Why am I doing witchcraft? <clears throat> to live your best life now. It's all about me now. Believe it or not, uh, even Olstein's wife admits their form of worship is all about self, not God, and that's flat out Satanism, folks. <clears throat> Watch this. Attention, all Christians! When you go to church next Sunday, you might not be doing it for God, but to satisfy your own selfish needs. Can you believe that? That's what some people are saying, or at least that's how people are interpreting the remarks that were made by popular Lakewood Church co-pastor Victoria Osteen. Check this out. Victoria Osteen, check this out. God just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves. 
Because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives Him the greatest joy this morning. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship Him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself. Because that's what makes God happy. Amen. Founded in San Francisco, California by Anton LaVey in 1966, the Church of Satan sees belief in God or hell as delusional, and so they choose to practice self-reliance and self-worship. If a Christian said to you, you were just really worshiping yourself, what would you say? In a sense, they would be right. Uh, it is a form of self-worship. Uh, you were a Satanist for how long? Twelve years. Twelve years. Twelve years. What does it mean to be a Satanism, to have Satan as a God? To adore or to to uh, to adore Satan, your servant Satan, your servant self. More than anything else, it's ah, egocentric, self-centered, serve me, all is me, immediate gratification. That's what all it's about. The Church of Satan has chosen Satan as its primary symbol because in Hebrew it means adversary, opposer, one to accuse or question. And we see ourselves as being the Satans, the adversaries, opposers and accusers of all spiritual belief systems that would try to hamper enjoyment of our life as a human being. This is a very selfish religion. We believe in greed, we believe in selfishness, we believe in all of the lustful thoughts that motivate man because this is man's natural uh, feeling. I had to share that because it sounds like, oh, that's crazy, that's not Satanism. I went no, straight out of the Satanist's mouth. When it's all about self, that's Satanism. And now it's even in the church. But is it surprising that witchcraft, who also is, this is coming from Satan, it's all about self, self-enhancement, self, all that stuff. It's crazy, okay? Let's get back to uh, Cabot real quick as we get ready to close. She's still, again, going still to this day. For seven years, she taught at Salem State College. So she was allowed to, I thought you couldn't have religion in schools. Apparently, you can have witchcraft. You can even have witch teachers in school, apparently. Then she opened up a couple of different witch shops in Salem. Uh, one called the Crow Haven Corner was extremely successful. It's a tourist attraction. She gives it over to her daughter to run uh, in the 70s. And then in 1973, it still goes on to this day, she started what's called the Witch's Ball, a costume party to celebrate Sam Hain or All Hallows Eve, Halloween, which is one of their big high unholy days. Uh, in Salem. It's an international community that comes to this event, grows, uh, unfortunately, and is giving big, giant uh, media attention, unfortunately. And then in 1977, this guy, remember him, Michael Dukakis? He was the then governor of Massachusetts. What party is he from again? Democrats. That's right. He signed a citation granting Cabot as the official witch of Salem. Salem, is that, is that, is that's a good thing. Really? Why were you promoting that? Then she, in 1986, she began to uh, argue for, quote, witches' civil rights. And she launched what was called the Witches' League of Public Awareness. And right after that, that's when you began to see witchcraft uh, take over big time uh, in the public view. Okay, in 1986, the same year, Wicca was recognized as an official religion in the United States in the court case Detmer versus Landon. Right, so they get they became a religion right after she launches this stuff. Then the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that Wicca was entitled to First Amendment protection, like any other religion. I wonder if they have to wear masks when they gather. Just saying. 1998. Then a Wiccan student in Texas enlisted the aid of the ACLU. If you don't know what that stands for, that's the American Communist Lawyers Union. 
After the school board tried to prevent her from wearing Wiccan jewelry and black uh, clothes, the board reversed its view. So now it's going to schools. 2004, the Indiana Civil Liberties Union fought to reverse the judge's decision divorcing, that divorcing Wiccans could not allow to teach their faith to their sons. That was reversed. In 2005, the U.S. Army Sergeant Patrick D. Stewart became the first Wiccan serving in the U.S. military to die in combat. But his family was refused to put the pentagram on his gravestone, so they took it to court. That got overturned, and now Wiccan symbols are accepted by the Veterans Administration. And I quote, all this helped to increase the number of practicing Wiccas in the United States of America, launched it into the now millions. And part of it is this lady taking it on as a civil rights issue, uh, Cabot. Then she even runs for the Salem mayoral, uh, uh, mayor race in 1987. She ran for mayor, okay, after people were making bad comments about witches. So she's kind of like a watchdog. Right uh, for that. Then she even served as a board in 1980. She joined the Chamber of Commerce. So she's in, in the school, in the businesses, in politics. She's getting involved there, and she's still alive today, still doing this stuff. In 1988, she established what's called the Temple of Isis, and through them, she was ordained as quote Reverend Cabot. So now she can perform marriages like she's some sort of a so-called pastor. Of course, she's written a bunch of different books, uh, Practical Magic, A Salem's Witch Book, The Power of the Witch, Love Magic, Celebrate the Earth, uh, blah, 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 The Witch in Every Woman, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, as you can see there, right? Big, giant, long tiles, but basically the feminine power, right? Uh, and and, and she certainly doesn't like using the term mankind, it's humankind, okay? And you know her history, what happened? Unfortunately, had some what? bad run-ins with some guys. That doesn't mean that they're all bad, but uh, that's where she went. And so still today, she's doing all kinds of teaching classes, a full schedule, readings, public appearances, community work, including tree planting programs. Because remember, this is just out there worshiping nature and things that nature. Okay. Uh, And so here's the point. Unfortunately, she's still going on today. She's been a big, huge part still, unfortunately, of getting people to think that this is just a science. It's fine. It's just another way. It's a life hack. If that's not working for you, try this. You know, it'll help you. It's all about yourself. And people are getting involved in it. And so guess what? They're getting involved into this demonic, satanic, Luciferian practice. And they need to be witness to. And that's the good news. And we're going to close. And by the way, we're going to skip our prayer thing because I'm way over again. And so thank you for your patience. But this is why we need to witness to people including people who uh, we need to pray for this lady. She's still alive. She's 87. She could still come to Christ, right? You know, it's too far gone. Nobody's too far gone, right? We need, and this is my heart's cry. I don't want us to just know about witchcraft. It's all over the Bible. That's why we're studying because we're a Bible church. You got to study all the Bible, not some of it. But we need to translate this with, we need to get equipped so that we can feel confident enough to reach anybody for Christ. Right? Because this is a dark route. Okay? And guess what? Jesus can save him. Like he did with this lady. Watch this. I think I wanted to have power over the things that, I, that scared me. I thought that it would give me that. Growing up, Shalom was known as Sheila. As a teen, she began searching for truth. Her fascination with the occult and her love for nature led her to Wicca. I was always very much uh, in love with nature, and so it was a natural thing to worship nature. So it was easy for me to get into that. As Sheila became more involved with Wicca, she became very outspoken about the religion. 
She felt it was her duty to let the world know that witches were nothing like the normal perception. Well, you know, I'm a good witch, kind of like Glenda. But, um, and, and that's kind of the way I looked at it for myself. Despite thinking she was a good witch, Sheila began to delve deeper into the occult lifestyle. Drinking, drugs, and sex became a way of life. Any sin? I didn't believe in sin. You know, that opens the door pretty easily for you to get into just about anything you want to. Even though Sheila practiced magic and attended pagan gatherings, she still felt hopeless. At 25, the man she was engaged to marry walked away from her after his family learned she was a witch. Devastated and alone, she turned to her magic, hoping to find peace. And I just thought, well, you know, I'm not really in harmony with nature enough yet. Sheila searched everywhere for answers. She spent time worshipping her favorite tree, doing spells and appealing to the god and goddess for answers. I really, really thought I was on the right track. I thought I was really getting somewhere. I thought I was becoming enlightened. And, um, but things were still a mess. A few years later, another man came into her life, Kevin. Before long, the two fell in love and decided to marry. But just like before, his family found out she was a witch and wanted the relationship to end. So I was really angry uh, that once again, Christians had interfered with my love life. So uh, I decided I'd have a little talk with Jesus because I still believed that Jesus had existed, that he was a you know, really smart guy. And I said, look, you know, I'm really suffering here, so I need your help. You're supposed to be the Prince of Peace. I need some peace here. And it was really strange because I actually experienced peace at that point. She began reading the Bible and studying Christianity. She wanted to understand the peace and power that came over her after she prayed. I had so many viewpoints that had to change that it was a process. I mean, I literally felt like scales were being dropped from my eyes like Paul's experience. Sheila and Kevin got back together and began studying the Bible and going to church. The couple gave their lives to Jesus and soon married, this time with the blessing of his family. The first thing that I felt was, boy, what a lot of wasted time, that I could have been happy, that I could have been sober, that I could have been worshiping the right God. Now her duty has changed a little. She no longer seeks to educate the world about who witches really are, but instead, who Christ is. After practicing magic for over 20 years, I never encountered any power like what I've encountered since I've been a Christian. With the peace she's always longed for, Shalom is hoping to help other pagans and Wiccans find it too. You can. You can find forgiveness. Doesn't matter what you've been into. Doesn't matter what you've done. He's going to still forgive all of that. And um, there's hope. There is hope. Amen. That's why we're studying what we're studying. It's not just to win that Jeopardy column. In case you get on Jeopardy, they say, Who founded Wicca? 500 Daily Double. Yay. It's to share with people who are involved. And if you're watching tonight or watching this video, even, Lord willing, years past, and if you're currently involved, listen to that lady. It's true. There's hope. The one that you're worshiping is false, and it will destroy you. 
But Jesus Christ can forgive you and make you whole and give you hope. You know and I know there's a dark hole in your heart that your witchcraft and occult practices are not filling. It's a God-shaped void that only God can fill, and it starts when you call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Do that tonight, if that's you, wherever you're at. But speaking of which, of uh, bad relationships and female goddess worship and uh, men are wrong and horrible and uh, you need to get involved, ladies, into uh, goddess worship and Wicca, well, that's where we're going to go, Lord willing, next time into Dianic Wicca. And this is basically going to be a whole study, Lord willing, on feminism and how feminism is a smokescreen to get ladies of all ages Involved straight up into witchcraft or Wicca as well. So we'll do that, Lord willing, next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God out of love gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, The the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, "...you shall not bear false witness." That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief, Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy, even His name is holy. Hey folks, let's be honest, if you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard, uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that's the same thing. Uh, It's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. 
Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave, and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.